So we will continue our um, Sunday sermon sessions in the Gospel of John, and we are in chapter 16, and we will be looking at the verses from uh, verse 23 to 33, which will, of course, conclude uh, the chapter. And um, I want you all to know, and I don't say this often enough, and you'll have to forgive me, but I, I, am, I truly appreciate each and every one of you here. I really do, and uh, it encourages me such a great deal to be able to sit here and be equal with all of you and, and proclaim these words that we read and we study and we learn from, and uh, each and every one of you here has great value uh, to his kingdom, uh, friends, brethren, all of us here uh, in this assembly, and we want to continue to be pleasing to the great I am, the great power that has set all things in order. Um, and so know that, truly, um, the Maya family is, is, is truly uh, humbled at your willingness to, to be here and to learn the love of our Lord and Master, to get to know Him better each, each day and to worship Him on His day here now Sunday. Um, it's a beautiful thing, and may we never take this for granted. May we always strive to put this in our priority in life, and may we have the courage and independence uh, of faith to uh, be productive for Him, all of us, from our youth to our seniors and everyone in between. We hold great value to Him. He sent His Son, and we are wise to learn of Him and to know this man that would have gave, gave, who gave His life for uh, people thousands of years ahead. Uh, to me, that is truly fascinating and uh, should be taken to heart. We do not want to be in vain. We want to be in spirit and truth. The right motive of the heart with the right doctrine, most important. So we continue uh, in the inspired, God-breathed information written down forevermore time known as the perfect law of liberty to which the scriptures would reveal. And in the Gospel of John, we've been through quite a wonderful journey thus far, learning of the Christ, learning of His deity, and also of His human side, His humanity, His experience with humanity as God on earth. Uh, truly, again, uh, a powerful testament to His love to lower Himself among us, and to teach us repentance and the structure of His law, mercy and grace, law and love combined. And uh, we've seen those who have loved Him and have followed Him, those He has chosen, all of free will accordingly. And we've also been seeing, of course, the great growing hostility from those who would be His enemies, those who were contaminated, if you will, by pride and greed and the praise of men, hypocrisy, self-righteousness, all these sinful uh, uh, deviancies and delinquencies um, among the religious leaders of all things. It should have been the religious leaders that would have embraced Jesus. They would have been the one that say, yes, here he is, the fulfillment of the scriptures. We, we see him. He is now here. The prophets revealed and confirmed but yet they didn't. Uh, their hearts were, uh, again, polluted by 
sinful and lawless ways and their own uh, worldviews and traditions held more weight in their lives than what Christ was teaching and who Christ truly was. And that is so unfortunate. Yet we see that same very uh, sinful worldview today. And I dare say we will see it till the end. Uh, those who claim to be religious leaders will more so be uh, concerned with their pride, <clears throat> their jealousies, their bitterness, their, 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 their control, and uh, their gre uh, greed and things like that. But yet, uh, the common mind, uh, for those of us who want to know the truth, uh, we can find Him. Uh, we seek Him. We ask questions. We learn. And we've seen all these facets. We've seen how Christ had great concern and compassion for mankind and how he would certainly not uh, deviate his focus upon the minds of those who were hostile towards him but would rather focus on those seeking and would have personal contact and engagements with them and how he was capable of changing their minds and having them open their thoughts to a location they would have not entertained prior to his appearing. All these wonderful things we here, each of us, should pay close attention to and truly ask ourselves, why are we here? We have our to and fro's throughout the week. We have our responsibilities and we have a great many uh, at that uh, in which God has blessed us with. Uh, but truly at the core of our being, where is our focus and do we fully embrace the Christ of the scriptures? The religious leaders of the day had since created Jesus in their own image. And when Jesus appeared quite differently than the image they had since created, they were hostile towards him. Are we guilty of the same today? Do we create a Jesus in our thoughts according to our own image? That will do what we say do and not do and hate those we want to hate and love those we want to hate? Is he truly subjective to our own fleshly desires? Well, of course not. We must know the Christ of the scriptures which is, of course, according to God-breathed pen, the Holy Spirit. And those who loved Him followed that path and that doctrine, the image of the Christ, revealed as He was. Very pure, innocent, strong, courageous, upright. And it makes its context to the understanding in which Christ was now very shortly going to give his life. He was going to, of his own free will, give up his life in a brutal sacrifice at the hands of godless men and it was going to be allowed, permitted to be done through the hands of his own people, his own culture. Let's stay focused here. They could not, of course, they, they, the apostles is the immediate context in which Christ is speaking. He's speaking to his apostles. That's who he is speaking to. They could not yet wrap their minds around, if you will, this coming sacrifice. But yet it was coming. And Christ was giving them comfort that the Holy Spirit would be given to them to govern their thoughts. This was to be supernatural. It would be what 
we understand as the word miraculous, but they would not lose their free will. And Christ is giving them comfort, and of course, the comforter to come, the helper. And that is the immediate context taking place, and that's what we were looking at, of course, prior in the chapter, in weeks before. So now, we want to make sure we understand what is taking place from verse 23 to 33. And verse 23, might I say, should be well connected to verse 20 and following. Uh, man, have div man, since, has given the verses and separated the locations. But that's not always necessarily accurate. It's not inspired. The words are inspired, but the chapter breaks and the, the verse breaks are not inspired. That's just a man who said, I'll make a verse here, make a verse there. It's for expediency, so we can find ourselves in the Bible more easily. But it's not inspired. For instance, this location from verse 23 to verse 33 in my Bible says, prayer promises as a header. Well, that's not inspired. That's not from the Holy Spirit. But it's expedient. And at times it's quite accurate, but at times it's way off. And at times they break the chapter or they break verses in locations that the Holy Spirit did not. So we have to be wise. And God gave us a thinking mind to understand that sometimes the context goes well with other verses in another chapter that should have been put together. For instance, it is my opinion, and strictly an opinion, verse 20, 21, 22, 23, and 24 go together. Or, I should more so say, verse 24 goes well up to 16, and that there should be a break from verse 25 to verse 33. Well, that's my opinion. I may be wrong. However, it just may be right. A bit of an excursion for your thoughts and notes. We go back to the text. Verse 23, it says, In that day, okay, which day? Well, we need to have a remembrance of the things that took place prior to that verse. What was he saying? Let's go back in verse 20 and read forward. Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. Uh, uh, you will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. And of course, they needed the illustration to make sense of that. What do you mean? Well, he says, whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. You're going to go through a moment of loss, confusion, pain, sorrow, trial, temptation, isolation. But don't stay there because being there, the world's going to rejoice at that. They're going to be real happy that they think you're being defeated. But you're not going to be defeated because I'm going to appear to you once again. After I've been risen from the dead, I will appear to you. And you will see and understand that I am here and I am alive and I've conquered death. And then when I ascend, you will be the recipients of the Holy Spirit, which is God within your mind. In accordance to that day, now we understand the context in which he is speaking in verse 23 and to why my opinion would be that those verses 23 and 24 should be with 2021 and 22. In verse 23, in that day, which day? When he, of course, has fulfilled the gospel plan and they become the recipients of the Holy Spirit. You will have, uh, sorry, in that day, you will not question me about anything. 
Truly, truly, pay close attention. Now I say to you, who is you? Well, the 11 apostles in which are in the direct context of this theme. I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, now there's the authority and there is the boundary. It must be understood that you can't just hijack the name of Christ and ask for what you want when you want it, you won't get it. It's a matter of his boundary and will. What did Jesus say? I believe in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7, if I'm not mistaken, verse 21 and following. Many will say to me on that day, truly, truly, didn't we, didn't we do this? Didn't we do that in your name? And what did Jesus ultimately say? Some very concerning words to believers, to people who were firmly convinced in their conscience that they were doing things in God's name, in the name of Christ. What did he say to them? I do not know you. Be gone from me, you who practice lawlessness. Wow, that's pretty harsh. Quite offending to people who were religious leaders of the day. Okay, I say to you, the Father for anything in my name. There is a boundary to my name. What are you praying in his name for? Now, I'm speaking in practical application to our lives and our faith today. Well, we looked at the model in one of our studies, did we not? In Matthew chapter 6. Food, shelter, and clothing. Forgiveness. The growth of his church. Really? Decisions that may be life-changing. Large purchases. We need his name and his will in accordance to our plans as his church for the future. But if we're asking for a new sky rise in Dubai next week for the church, and each of us drive a Lambo, I don't think that's in God's will. Now that doesn't mean it's a sin if we all find ourselves in Dubai, which is a beautiful location from what I've been able to see on YouTube videos. It's beautiful. And there's nothing sinful with that. And there's nothing sinful if you want to drive a Lambo or a Bentley. But if you love those things more than Jesus, you won't be praying in his name anymore, will you? You'll be praying for me. I want it in your name. Give me what I want in your name. And sadly, that's what the religious leaders of the day were doing and why he rebuked them. In this context here, speaking to his apostles, their prayer in his name was, of course, in accordance to his will. And what was going to be their will? You can read from the book of Acts all the way to Revelation. What did the apostles die for? The gospel. So that you and I today can have this book, read this book, study this book, believe this book, and do what it says. Of a good heart, of a good cheer. Willingly, eagerly wanting to. And of course, our purpose with everything we have in our lives. Employment, the twos and fros of parenthood, parenthood or, or, or uh, the, the, uh, the challenges of our youth growing or anything. Look at it from all different perspectives. Ultimately, what is our priority? Seek ye first, Matthew 6.33, the church here. This is your first and foremost priority. If you are to be pleasing to God, it is first and foremost this family. And this family is of greater importance than any of our blood family. That don't mean we hate them. That don't mean we uh, uh, don't have friends with them or neighbors or whoever. 
But this is of greater importance. Why? Because it's about Jesus and making it to heaven and bringing in as many people as we can with us. And within that very simple and surface verbal explanation, we find deep-rooted descriptions in the scripture that have to do with compassion and love and forgiveness and kindness and thoughtfulness, integrity, dignity, unity, peace, commitment, family, culture, and so many other wonderful things. In his name, in accordance to the context, friends, they were certainly going to receive a positive answer. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Why? Because it's in his name. It's according to his will, his authority. That's why. Until now, verse 24, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. And friends, let's not miss this one. Where is the joy found in a Christian life? Answered prayers. Why? Because it's according to His will. Do we capture that? Our true joy is His Son, His forgiveness, His church, His word. And we see the growth because we pray according to His will. Holy Father, please grow your church. Grow this family so that you may be pleased. For when you are pleased, we are comforted. We are encouraged. We give gifts to our children. Holidays, birthdays, any days. We give gifts to our children. And what do the parents do when they give the gift? They anticipate the reaction. Let's see what the children are going to do when they open the gift. And when we see their faces with that countenance of joy, that I got my favorite toy or I got this, that, and the other. What do we have in our hearts? <sighs> Ah, that makes me happy. That makes me feel fulfilled and content. That brings me great joy to see the joy of our children. Our Father is joyful when we obey His gospel and live according to His gospel. When we pray for growth, and what do we mean by growth? We mean independently each one of us is growing in the knowledge of this book, number one. Number two, we grow numerically. People are seeing this love and this future they can see a hundred years ahead. The East Coast Church of Christ on the East Coast of Canada is still going to be around and maybe hundreds of members. We'll have our own culture. We'll have our own influence. That is pleasing to God and to know that God is pleased should bring us that joy. We should have that joy in our hearts. Anything in my name He will give to you until now you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. Joy made full through prayer, answered prayer according to His will. Check mark. We got it? Good. Forward. Verse 25. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. An hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but will tell you plainly of the Father. Interesting information. He's been there among them explaining the parables. Pay attention. Have your mind open to what is being proclaimed. The context. Again, we read, These things I've spoken to you in figurative language. Jesus, of course, is man. Yet he is the Christ, the Messiah, the Chosen One. He is God on earth in flesh. And he is teaching 
He is proclaiming the good news of the kingdom in which he would be crowned king upon the fulfillment of the gospel plan. Confirm, confirmation by the prophets. Okay, well, these things I have spoken to you in figurative language, an hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but will tell you plainly of the Father. What does it say in verse 23? In that day, which day? The fulfillment of the gospel plan, when they become the recipients of God within their mind, through the Holy Spirit, which is God. God is the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is God. Deity. In them, in their minds, governing them into all truth. All things will be made plain for them to understand. At this very moment, they're hearing Jesus speak about, I need to die. And they can't fully wrap their minds around that to the extent that is necessary. And it doesn't mean they don't have faith. They have faith. Of course they have faith. But their faith has not yet reached a measurement in which would allow them to understand the full plan in which Jesus is speaking. But they will have that on the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit is poured out upon their minds and they are governed by God, instructed by God miraculously. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, but an hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but will tell you plainly of the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, remember that always, in my name, you know when someone is immersed into Christ? When someone is immersed, plunged, dipped, as the scriptures would say, into water, out of water? What is the instruction that the scriptures teaches us? In his name. Acts 22.16, in his name. Why do we call on his name? Because it is through his authority and power in which you come up out of that water saved. Everything we do must be accordance to his will, his name. They understand that. They need to know that. In that day you will ask in my name and I do not say to you that I will request of the Father on your behalf. For now, among them in the flesh, he of course is the one in, uh, speaking to the Father on their behalf. And of course, we have him as a mediator today. But to, to these apostles, again, we must respect the context of the first century in which this pen was written down. An hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but will tell you plainly of the Father. And that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request of the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, verse 27, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from the Father. The Father loves you. God will be within you in the poured out power of the Holy Spirit. I came forth, verse 28, from the Father and have come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. He speaks, of course, again, the equality he has with the Father. He is deity. He is divine. He is God on earth. And he speaks in submission while he's in the flesh to the Father in heaven. And the Father in heaven loves his apostles. Because the Father in heaven sees the love they have for Him. And if you love Jesus, you love the Father. If you know Jesus, you know the Father. Now we understand how Jesus was capable of rebuking the religious leaders of the day. You claim to know the Father, but you deny me and reject me. You can't know the Father without me. But these apostles could understand the Messiah through the miraculous powers and the authority of his teaching. So they had a measurement of faith that was strong, but yet not at the peak necessary for their office, which would come, of course, on the day of Pentecost. 
I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. And of course, upon these things, his disciples say to him in verse 29, Lo, now you are speaking plainly and are not using a figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. Now, of course, again, in the limited position they find themselves in, thinking of earthly things, they think to themselves, he's capable of knowing the inner thoughts of our mind, our heart. So therefore, we understand what he's speaking of plainly. But it is my opinion that they have not yet grasped the entire picture yet, for that would be only allowed to them again on the day of Pentecost recorded in Acts chapter 1 where they become the recipients of the Holy Spirit. There they will have the full remembrance of all the teachings and understand, oh, and they will have a glimpse to that end when Christ returns after the dead also, being like, oh, wait a minute, oh, we saw you die, yet here you are walking among us. Ah, oh, now I get, now I'm starting to understand. But at this point, I believe they are speaking this to their um, Immaturity, I suppose, to a certain degree. Thinking, well, since he knows the inner mind of man, uh, uh, we must understand him plainly now. So, yeah, we understand what you're saying plainly. Well, Jesus says to them, of course, in verse 31, Do you now believe? Behold, verse 32, an hour is coming. You see how he is repetitive with this? The day, the hour, the day, the hour. He is literally about a half hour to an hour from his death. Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. His insight, foresight, is prophesying here of something to take place that hasn't happened yet, but is so certain that it will that he can speak it to them. They must have been like, what does he mean? We're not going to abandon you. We're not going to... You will. But he will not be alone. And that, a bit of an excursion for your notes. Jesus on the cross till his death was not alone. He had the Father. Some Christians who have been misguided by various teachings that would not be accurate, let me put it mildly that way, may think that Christ became full of sin and died alone on the cross. That's not true. He always had the Father. You and I might find ourselves one day alone. Perhaps. Perhaps that is something that might happen. But you'll never be alone. Will we? Ultimately. No, we'll have the Christ. The Christ had his father. The Christ had his father. But as we are so growing this culture and this church, it is my opinion that when it is all of our time to depart, to leave this earth, we'll have each other here, holding each other's hands. Right? I mean, we got to go one day. Might as well do it in a very peaceful way with friends and family, church with us. Okay. Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, 
He's going to go to the cross. He's about to be betrayed. As he speaks, those things are taking place, and he will be abandoned by his entourage. Yet he is not alone. He has the Father. And in verse 33, these things I have spoken to you. Why? So that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. It doesn't matter how bad it gets out there. It doesn't matter how bad our trials and challenges come. Our anxieties, our fears, our doubts, our confusions, loss of loved ones, persecution, issues with health. It doesn't matter, ultimately, if we are in Christ and faithful, for His peace is forevermore. And how do we tap into that power? You have to be immersed into Christ. And it takes faith. In Christ, through faith, clothed, washed by the blood of the Lamb. Take courage. I have overcome the world. The power of the Christ can wash our sins away. And that is ultimately the most significant source of conversation. If you are still in sin, you can't go to heaven. It doesn't matter how strongly of a conscience you think you are. In Christ, you have the freedom, the, uh, the uh, liberty and privilege of forgiveness. In Christ, you have courage. And I love how he says, I have overcome the world. There is no sin that is stronger than the power of Christ. Not none. It doesn't matter what you've done, what you've thought, what you've said. If you repent and follow him, he has certainly overcome the world. We are victorious through Christ. And they, in the immediate context, the apostles hearing this information, quite most valuable, they were going to die for the cause. Don't fear mankind and what they can do. The Holy Spirit was going to be with them. God was going to be with them. The Father, Son, and Spirit with them. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. We can have practical application. Though he was speaking in context directly to his apostles, you and I today can have direct uh, application to our lives, understanding these, these very words. In me. Okay, so we have to be in Christ. How do we get in Christ? Do you believe in him? Yes. Are you willing to repent of your sins? Yes. Are you willing to confess him as your Lord and Master? Yes. Then you qualify. Qualify for what? To be baptized into Him. In Him you have peace. You can sleep at night. Why? You're forgiven. You're forgiven. So if you were to die this hour, it's okay. You're with Christ. But you must be immersed in Him. You can have peace. Then He says, in the world you have tribulation. What does that mean? Well, out there we're going to have all kinds of problems, aren't we? <laughs> All kinds of problems out there. Sociopolitically right now with our government. Oh man, they don't like us at all. There's a lot of stuff out there that don't like us at all. But we can persevere through that, can't we? How so? Take courage. Take hold of your life. You have control of your mind. Self-control. Take hold of that. Have courage. Why? Because Christ has overcome the world. 
He's been able to go through all those things. Betrayal, murder, all these things. Anyway, so that concludes the portion of Scripture and the chapter at hand. It is always available to everyone here. The gospel is always available to all of us. If you ever have to confess things, if you're struggling with things, don't bottle it all up inside. Speak it to God in prayer. And if you need to confide in, in privacy to any one of us, know that we are family. You can speak with us. We, together, all of us here live life and we go through ups and downs. Sometimes we miss the mark, sometimes we don't. But we can speak to each other. Don't miss out on that. If you need to obey the gospel, why not today? Why delay? Acts 22.16, what are you waiting for? <laughs> Get up and be baptized. Call on His name. Be saved. All of these wonderful gospel invitations are available and they are done by the Holy Spirit's pen. The apostles were going to be able to conquer that moment and fulfill their office because of the wonderful power of Christ. So many more things could be said, of course, but there it is. Uh, let's move forward with the song. <laughs>